It's time for a new evolution in raising golfers, one that doesn't involve headaches, tears, or heading down the path of unknown. Whether you're trying to introduce children to the game of golf, help them play competitively, or play at a collegiate level, you're in the right place. This show is for any parent, player, or coach who wants to build a better team at home and on the golf course. This is the Raising Golfers Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Raising Golfers Podcast. I am your host, Travis Hauser, PGA Professional here in Carlsbad, California. I've got a question for you for this wonderful episode coming up. Is Does your junior golfer have the ambition to play competitive golf after high school or college golf? I know I sure did, and at the same time, I had no idea what that journey looked like before getting into it. So today, our guest is a great friend of mine, and we also worked and coached golf together in Shanghai, China, PJ professional Joe Hoblin. Joe is a PJ professional from the UK, and he spent six years coaching golf in China. And once the pandemic began, he decided to take a step away from his coaching career to focus fully on his own game and play competitive golf. And today, he's going to share what that journey looked like and what he has learned over the past two years. All right, ladies and gentlemen, I'm so excited to have Joe Hoblin here on the Raising Golfers podcast. Joe, welcome to the show. Thanks, mate. Glad to be on. Absolutely. Now, for those of you listening, Joe and I used to work together in Shanghai, China for a number of years together. And after we both left China, we we both went two different directions. I I went back to the United States. Joe actually went on another adventure, which I think we're going to talk about today. And it's going to be very important for those of you who might be interested in, in either helping your junior golfer play in tournaments long term, or if you are a junior golfer listening, you'd like to play in golf, whether it's beyond high school or college and play at a competitive level, this will be a very good listen for you. So Joe, why don't you share a little bit of the journey once you stepped away from your profession, working and coaching in Shanghai, China into what you decided to do? Uh, yeah, sure, mate. So, and the interesting thing now is, you know, I've come back to coaching again. So it's a bit, it was a bit of a jump in, then jump out and jump back in again to coaching. But essentially what I did leaving the job in Shanghai was um, go back home and focus more on competitive golf, which is something I'd never done. Um, so a bit of background of how I became to coach in the first place was I was into golf quite a bit, uh, say from when I was about 16, um, got down to a four handicap and went on this degree in uh, the University of Birmingham, UK called Golf Management Studies. And that was designed for good golfers who were never really interested in playing, let's say, but more about like the business of golf and maybe uh, they'd later go into be golf management, uh, golf managers or, you know, golf equipment guys, you know, a, a bunch of things within the golf industry. And then I fell into coaching off the back of that, uh, but never as a kid or, you know, in my early days of the golf profession was thinking, ah, let's go and play and really earn money through that route. Mm. Um, so I did... Yeah, that degree, I did six years in China, so three years Shenzhen, three years Shanghai with you, and yeah, decided I'd give it a give it a whirl at playing, you know, after all that time away, it almost came back to, almost like I was when I was 15, 16 again, wanting to get as good as I could at golf. That's cool. And then, so as your term was coming close to an end in Shanghai with coaching at the Golf Academy that we were at, 
you know, where were you thinking about going to start dabbling into practice and playing to transition into full-time tournament play and full-time competitive practice? Sure. So I actually started with a uh, pretty short-term plan, like trip to Thailand um, over Chinese New Year, which is just before I left this company. Um, and that the idea of that was like just have a two-week smash of golf. Basically, I was in this cheap Airbnb right next to Laguna Phuket, which is a really nice golf course in Thailand there, and just like smash the practice every day. Met some cool people out there, some other players, um, got into a bit of community and was playing a lot of golf, basically. I, I really just loved every minute of that. Um, so that was almost like dipping the toe in the water, if you like, to mm-hmm. see if I enjoyed that intensity. And um, yeah, it was then about two or three months later after that, which I was back, then I was back in the UK um, to do it, let's say, more full time. And so then, like, how long into that trip then? Because, you you know, I know you were supposed to only be there for two weeks, but I think you ended up being there for a little bit longer. But how long into that did you actually realize, like, you know, actually, this is pretty cool. I'm enjoying the practice, the the time I have to actually put into the game. Uh, you know, how long was it until you actually started seeing maybe some change in results, whether it was on the golf course or just how you were striking the ball or, or hitting different types of shots in your practice? Yeah, I think, you know, more so than that, I mean, I've been working pretty solidly for, you know, six years basically on coaching you know for golf academies and it was like six day a week kind of stuff you know into, into that rhythm so and even like obviously week one or two it was such a, a different environment there where I was waking up and my time was basically okay it's all almost selfish time you know it's like oh okay how am I going to get better today um hmm. so almost yeah I, I enjoyed it right from the beginning really um yeah I but anyway, I'm not sure if I really got that much better actually on that whole trip. I was there for eventually six weeks because the pandemic, COVID pandemic extended that trip from two to six weeks. But um, mm-hmm. yeah, looking back, I don't know if I proved much there, but it was just fun to get out and play. Did you have any short-term goals while you were there? Uh, no, no, not really. It was just like, I was just committed to putting the time in, really waking up, you know, getting a routine going, doing some gym eating well, going to practice and play and just enjoy like the grind, I guess, is the, the cliche uh, phrase there, which I was aiming for. Yeah, I think that's quite important, though, because, uh, you know, similar what you said there is similar how I like to coach golf, which is kind of like is developing lifelong experiences through golf. And I think maybe starting this journey, you started the right way where it's like, look, I just want to go out and have some fun. Now I'm going to put in the time I'm going to put in the practice, I'm going to work hard but I want to make sure I'm enjoying it while I'm doing it. Because I think if, if maybe you had a different mindset where it was like, okay, I need these results. I need to be shooting these scores. I need to be hitting shots this way. I need to be able to compete in this way. You know, you might've never gone down that year and a half to your journey that you went on because you know, the, the environment that you had set for yourself wasn't so positive. The experience that you had wasn't so positive. So I think starting out that way, I think is great for listeners to hear because I think that should be a starting mentality. I think that's a great way to, transition into taking it more seriously and just like what i say with junior golfers is you know i want the experience to be positive start positive stay positive and then at some point if they say hey i want to take this to the next level i want to play in tournaments mom or dad or you know i want to play high school golf or college golf okay then we can help them along the way and i think for you it was a very similar starting transition point into then moving back to the uk is from what it sounds like sure sure and you know, at that stage, it was all so new to me. It was all, it was all fun. But yeah, don't get me wrong, mate. It's um, as you do that 
let's say grind, you know, practice, daily practice, daily strive to get better. I mean, every day is not fun by any means. <laughs> In right. the sense of, you know, how you're fun when you're hanging out with your mates, having a good time, you know, that's fun. I mean, a lot of days, I mean, let's say probably most days it's not fun in that sense of the word that you're enjoying it because a lot of the time it just feels horrible because you know you can do better um you know the the improvement is almost like the stock market where you know you're hoping over time the trend will be moving upwards but for sure day to day it is absolutely a roller coaster ride and i mean for me at least uh i i was let's say putting a lot of time and seriously on my goal for two years like it felt it was on the whole probably more down days and up days um but you know <laughs> well, i did i did say from start to finish i uh, you know certainly had some improvements in the you know, ball striking and felt like i definitely feel like a more accomplished player now than i was uh you know leaving china and now let's hear a message from our show sponsor hey guys this last spring, I teamed up with Operation 36 here at our facility in Carlsbad, California, and it has completely changed my way of coaching and service to my customers. Operation 36 is a developmental golf program designed to take beginners from playing their first round to being able to shoot par or better for nine holes. So here's how it works. Participants attend weekly one-hour classes and work through a six-level curriculum. They then play in nine-hole events once or twice a month with a common goal to shoot 36 or better from different distances. And using the Operation 36 app, coaches can plan programs, communicate with families, and track students' progress. It's really, really cool. If you're a parent listening, search for a program near you on their website at operation36.golf forward slash juniors. And coaches, if you'd like to start a program at your facility, go to the same website, operation36.golf forward slash coaches. Okay, so yeah, I mean, it's fascinating. I mean, you're giving us real feel and information. And I mean, I, I remember talking to you along the way, because we had a lot of conversations over the phone about the process yeah. that you were going through. And, you know, once you got back to the UK, you know, what was the goal that you were after or an end result that you were trying to achieve? So just coming back, um, goal essentially was <laughs> simply just put everything I could into it and just become the best player I could be you know that was I think as, as much as it it went in terms of goals you know of course the back of my mind that you have visions of like oh okay you know where could this go could it get to you know what what level could it get to if it's like a you know, European tour challenge tour um you know it's not like I had a particular goal to get anywhere in particular it was just like let's get really sick at golf <laughs> and uh you know, in, in a year or two's time or however long it takes you'll by following that desire that you've almost set out to begin with you're going to make more informed decisions later in terms of what's the next step is you know and um i think that was all i had really in terms of the goal so did you have the burning desire the entire length of the journey uh, i would say the short answer would probably be no um but it was would have been a certain yes, you know, in the, in the beginning, let's say when it was fresh and new and I was really like on this idea of, okay, let's, let's get better. And it, it was such a change from what I've been doing the last six years. I was really into it and it was easy to get up and just push through because every, I was, I was getting better quicker in the beginning. Um, mm. And I saw some quick improvements, let's say the first you know, three, four months uh, working with, um, 
good coach out in Maryland, I think he is, Ryan Cheney. So he, he helped me a bunch, a uh, good coach there. So then, you know, obviously then it sounds like you hit some type of plateau or you were rising quickly, but then obviously there was some, it doesn't continue in anything in life, right? Where you're just going to keep going up. So then once that transition happened, did you feel like you lost some of the desire to get out and work so hard in practice? Yeah, it's an an interesting one. I mean, ultimately, I guess I've, I've finished up now after two years of it and I've started another job coaching again uh, so right now i'm abroad in uh, uae at a brand new golf club in uh, a place called alba waste here um, so obviously ultimately i decided you know i wasn't committed to it enough to, to stick it out you know so obviously the answer is <laughs> at some point i realized oh, okay i'm not committed to doing this every day um mm. and maybe yeah for me it was going a bit off tangent again here but I think an important part of playing this especially at like the age I'm at now so I'm 29 uh, if I was going to go out and do it again and I'm not saying it won't happen in the future but I'd want to do it off my own back so huge though shout out to my parents they were really supportive for me the whole time Mm -hmm. Um, I think maybe what got to me in the end is that I was I think you know I, I didn't see it as sustainable after all this time practicing and I wasn't earning any money from playing really at all you're putting in so much time, a lot of money into it, um, you start to ask the questions of, you know, what's it going to look like in five, ten years? And hmm. I guess, yeah, you, your brain's always questioning itself, isn't it? So I eventually just decided, like, an opportunity's come out here and I've just gone for that. Um, so what kinds of struggles then did you start to realize throughout the two-year journey that you didn't maybe foresee at the beginning? Okay, yeah, so I think some of the struggles along the way um, – Maybe one thing I, you don't quite realize before you get into it full time with intensity for many months is, you know, how you could feel like you're not improving for a long time. Um, and it's firing through that, still getting up and turning up to practice, um, even though you're not feeling like you're getting better all the time. Um, that mm. is probably was much harder and much more um, on the mind than I thought it might be. You know, I guess we all have this idea, this like fairy tale idea that the path to improving is going to be quite linear, you know, and the more time you put in, the better you're going to get. But 100% mm-hmm. more time does not equal improvement. You know, it's so, so many more factors in the mix than, than just the time you're putting in. Um, yeah, that's a good point. Time is 100% like required, that's for sure. But, you know, there's more to it than that and definitely every yeah. day I didn't feel like I was improving all the time it's probably something I didn't I didn't quite take uh you know appreciate starting out let's say right and it's it's I mean I know you and I know going into it you would realize especially being a you know a coach as well that like it's not linear but then like when we kind of get in like really involved in it and you kind of <laughs> dabble into it and you start seeing yeah. the progression like even though you know it's not linear, like deep down somewhere, all of a sudden, like it starts to seem like it is linear or it should be linear, right? And sure. then all of a sudden you start hitting those hiccups in the journey and that, you know, struggles that you're going to have to work through in your own game, right? And I, like you said, I think the way you described it was perfect there about like time is necessary, but time is not the only factor that makes the progression happen. So, 100%. you know, looking back on this journey that you went on for two years, you know, 
dedicating your practice, you even you even seeked out professional help from other coaches. And I think that's sure. really cool because you're a coach yourself. What did you learn about the whole journey from the two years experience that you learned about yourself and then maybe how that also can then help you into your real profession of coaching golf? Sure. So, um, yeah, on the, the, the coaching part there, getting help, I mean, I kind of always, uh, well, I wouldn't say always, maybe I kind of thought, okay, at some point I'm going to have to have some help here. And maybe there was uh, at some point on that journey, like, um, I've transitioned from thinking, oh, I'm a coach, I know the swing, I can figure it out myself. Um, but almost doing that then, if, I think it was probably about three months of kind of trying to coach myself, um, after which point I was like, oh, man, like, you know, being the golfer and the coach is it's just not, it just didn't work for me. I mean, it might work for some people, but, dealing, you know, you can look at your swing, say, objectively as a coach, but there's a whole different ball game going on inside your head with like feel and real and all of this. So what I liked mm-hmm. about getting the help there was, um, you know, that someone else basically obviously doing that, you're outsourcing that part of it. So you're just following someone else's, uh, what they say. And there's definitely a lot of value in that for me. Um, cause yeah, I think I, I, I wouldn't have made such, such great improvements had I not had the help there. For sure. That's great. Yeah, that's great. I'm sure you learn things as well. That's going to help with your coaching too. And, yes, yeah, sure. you know, did, uh, I'm, I know you got a lot of like technical help because you're doing a lot of online coaching because it was all remote coaching. Um, did the coaching that you got as well help with any of the tactics or help you with any of your tournament play or how you approach things when you out and played in, in professional tournaments? Let's see. I would say um, not, not directly. I don't think any of the coaching I had was necessarily about like, how to handle tournaments. Um, but I'd say just by playing more tournaments myself, um, you know, you kind of get into a bit of a rhythm of how to prepare for them. And also, you know, you get less anxious the more tournaments you play, you know, because you've just used to that environment. Like the first few I played, I was much more, let's say, anxious about and had way more adrenaline compared to the ones I played later down the line. There's always going to be some adrenaline in there, obviously. But yeah, the more you play, less anxious you get um or at least you learn how to play through those those nerves right yeah how to handle those nerves right sure and i think it's 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 an interesting one so i was gonna say yeah it's almost the way you frame it i think is more important so obviously you know nerves there's a lot of different words for that feeling of that adrenaline right and that anxiousness which Mm -hmm. everyone is going to have um you guys are playing a lot you know they're just going to call their nerves you know, excitement. You know that they're going to positively frame those feelings in a way that they can take to be a good thing on the first tee. Like, oh, right, I've got all this adrenaline. I'm excited. I'm going to use that and smash a ball down the middle of the fairway. But maybe when you're new to it, you're seeing it as, oh, I'm really nervous. You know, I'm going to mess it up. Um, so I think how you frame it is mega important. Mm, that's um, good advice. And another thing I think I learned, and uh, my brother actually shout out to Ben Hoblin. I had a good conversation with him once or twice because he, he caddied for me at a couple of events and he kind of helped with kind of the big picture of like just, you know, a tournament on one day, right? You know, for the golfer at that time, it's a mega, mega huge deal. But I remember the conversation with Ben and it was really helpful because he was like, man, look, worst case scenario, you have a huge score and then you come last. I was like, yeah. And he's like, and then what? 
and then it's like oh well you go home and you wake up and everyone's forgotten in a day or two's time right and right if you right. look at it like that almost on the way to a tournament that's quite an empowering feeling because you're like look you're invincible i can if you're accepting the fact that worst case scenario i come last and you know i you know you're a big boy you can handle that then you literally can't lose really you're out there just trying to better yourself from that worst case scenario right that's Which great yeah, like it's that. be okay uh and if you can only better from there then you know it's a bonus so that was that was quite uh, a good one I, and i take that now to any time kind of time i'm not even in golf tournaments but say you're doing something new like i don't know uh public speaking or anything you're a bit anxious about or it's a new skill just go with that mindset look worst case scenario i mess it up people laugh and <laughs> but the reality is no one really cares and you know you just move on 100 percent. yeah i actually had one of my adult students tell me this recently because we talked yeah. a lot about mindset and he said basically he's like he's like if i my average score is for him his average score is 85 right let's just say right he says, if I come out and I shoot a 95 in one day, he's like, the guys I'm playing with, they're not going to care that I shot 95. And in fact, by the next day, they're going to forget about it. So he's like, so why do I need to be so nervous to not shoot a 95 when actually that's probably going to make me shoot a 95? It frees me up if I don't actually have that mentality and, and not worry about what other people are thinking about my game and just focus on one shot at a time. And he's like, since he's changed his mindset in that manner, it's really helped him actually drop his handicap by five strokes. Wow. And, you know, by by having a completely different mindset of just how to take and handle course play and tournament play and those kinds of things. And it's very similar like what you said there. It's it's almost like um not not changing the expectations, but changing the internal pressure you put on yourself going into something when like at the end of the day, some of these things actually don't really matter or they don't actually weigh as heavily as we think they should. And it takes a lot of pressure off us. And I think it frees up a lot of golfers out on the golf course. 100%. Yeah, yeah. And, so that's uh, great advice. I think you can take that, you know, on a quite specific example, like when you're playing golf, let's say a, a particular shot, maybe suddenly you're quite anxious about it. Maybe there's water there or, you know, I don't know, there's a chip shot you don't quite fancy. Um, if, if you have kind of suddenly a flash of, you know, you could mess it up, I wouldn't say try and put that to the back of your mind. I would say embrace that you know have a quick two second almost playthrough of how that would look like oh what, what's the worst case scenario okay well i dump it in the water then what oh you you lose a penalty shot and that's never going to go away that will always be there as a worst case scenario um mm-hmm. i think addressing that as the potential option will help you to kind of be more um let's say you know create a plan right there in the moment to not do that. And, you know, if you, if you address that as the option, you say, like, okay, well, how do I not dump it in the water? Well, let's make a committed swing on it, you know? So I wouldn't say you should try and just delete it completely, just address it. And then, you know, in your pre-shot routine, uh, you're kind of creating a plan. Uh, yeah, I know what you're saying you know, there. You know, is you know basically, yeah. <laughs> yeah, because, no, I've, I've talked to some other uh, mental golf coaches and what they talked about is acceptance and basically exactly. almost yeah, like accepting it. your accepting your fate of whether it's coming in dead last in a tournament or accepting the fact that you've just hit a shot into the water. And mm. the people who are better at having that higher level of acceptance, meaning like, okay, I've hit in the water, I can still chip it and I can still uh, make an up and down from the water and still make a par. Or you oh. could have the other side where you're not going to accept that you've hit in the water, you put your head down you're upset, 
you carry that that mentality to the next shot or for the rest of the hole you make a triple bogey now you carry that over to the next hole and you follow up with another triple bogey because you're still in the mindset of having this low level of acceptance based on a poor result or poor outcome and in golf nobody hits every shot perfect so i think what yeah. you said there is, is is exactly in line with that yeah 100 and that what you said there as well is, is bang on isn't it you know no one hits every shot perfect so you've got to go out there knowing you're there for four hours and most of the shots are just going to be okay you're going to have like i don't know two or three stinkers you're going to have two or three amazing shots and everything else is going to be somewhere in between so the quicker you can say you hit a bad chip or dump one in the water and just quickly go, oh, okay, well, that's one of the two or three bad swings of the day or shots of the day and move it on, right? You know, it's all it's all in the expected quota, let's say, isn't it? For sure. I mean, I just did an episode a couple episodes back and the title was Perfect is the Enemy of Good. And really? the idea of that is that, you know, if we get caught up on just perfection only, then we actually lose sight of what good is. And actually, if you're good at golf, you're actually miles ahead of everybody else, right? <laughs> but if you chase perfection, then you start to beat yourself up, then you have a lower level of acceptance, and then it just spirals down in the wrong direction. So Same. we shouldn't be chasing perfection, right? We, we should be accepting the fact that, you know what, we're not going to hit every shot perfect, and we need to move on from that. So, Joe, you've, you've spent, you spent two years working on your golf game, focusing on yourself and tournament play. I thought it was fun following the journey along with you and talking to you about the things you learned in your lessons that you did, uh, things that you were going through with the tournament play. I mean, I, I felt generally like it was a great experience for you from the outsider looking in and the things that you had told me. Would you say that that journey has helped you to now share those lessons that you've learned with your students as a coach? Yes, 100%. I mean, a lot of the ideas we've just discussed there really about, you know, framing like your mind in terms of getting ready for a tournament and, you know, the long-term struggles of the game would probably be the main takeaways from, from doing that, I would say. Um, and, you know, another thing too, really, with if you're striving for, you know, let's say high-level golf or anything, and any endeavor you choose, it's not always so important about like the day-to-day exactly what you're doing you know like we said before time is an absolute prerequisite for improving anything and it's the people who can get everything in order so that they are sticking with that skills let's say golf for many many years turning up every day to practice and train no matter what um are the people who are going to make it you know it's not necessarily all because they did this drill today or or they practiced for eight hours today. You know, it's it's this consistency over time, which is which is the key. Um, so obviously, a lot of factors that go into that. Financial is a big one for golf. Um, you know, uh, there's a lot of outlay there in terms of travel, competition costs, lessons, gear. You know, golf's probably quite high in terms of financial burden. And a huge thing too is you know the, the desire. You know, like you've got to in there somewhere. The guys who are going to make it to the highest level, they've got burning desire in there just to keep turning up you know like thick and thin the weather's bad the weather's good or they're playing bad you know they're going to just keep at it for many 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 years um which you know who, who knows where that comes from it, you motivate those kids you know there's so many factors there but i'd say that's really the main driver which is going to make the difference rather than you know the day-to-day stuff of you know let's say 
what swing you're working on. You know what I mean? Like there's, there's kind of Absolutely. macro, micro, right? For sure. Yeah. I think that you summed everything up there really well. And, you know, the first time I heard about the burning desire was from Dave Malone. He's been on the podcast a few times. I reference him because I think this is a very important thing. And the burning desire sums up a lot for us as adults when we're talking about junior golfers or even just ourselves is how high is that level of burning desire? Because that is what's going to ultimately drive somebody to go out and, you know, chase after their goals and their dreams of, let's just say, high level golf, if that's what we're talking about. And what you also summed up there was, you know, it's more of a process than necessarily immediate outcomes. And the people who are working towards the process are generally the ones who are going to excel the furthest in life. And mm-hmm. they're going to accept those day-to-day highs and lows that you're going to have, even shot to shot, right? And it's like, if we were given a golf lesson, sometimes I talk to students and say, okay, just be aware of the movement that you are making, the new movement pattern that you're making, let's try to take the outcome and the result out of our focus point right now while we're hitting golf shots. Because number one, you will hit some bad shots while we're going through this. But if you can continue to be aware of what you're doing and reward yourself for when you feel like you've you've made the the change in the movement pattern to where we want to be, you got to reward yourself for that. And then you will then long-term be able to see and relate back that, okay, now we see the outcome, we see the results, as opposed to putting the results at the forefront and focusing on just the outcome, the results immediately. And I think that goes back to like what you were saying is like day-to-day is like, okay, if, if I'm only focused on is today good or is today bad, and that's all you think about, it's not going to help you long-term and spring forward for the journey, right? And you're sure. saying is the process is what we're after, right? It's a process. And embracing the fact that there's going to be highs and lows and understanding that's part of the process is huge. Sure. Sure. Um, yeah. Couldn't, couldn't agree more. And like, yeah, on, on that too, you know, I, let's say I started the training say in April of 2020 or March, April of 2020. And I just enjoyed that. Like I just, did, I grinded it out, no real expectations of anything. And then suddenly I've come along and it was at the end of September or October of that year. So let's say six months and I've won a, like a local golf tournament with PJ pros and I've shot six under in one round and won the thing by like three or four shots. And I've never done any round like that. It just came out of nowhere. And it was something like that. Cool. Suddenly I was like, Oh wow. Like that is in terms of a result, obviously way better than I've ever done. It's not like I was aiming for it, but it, it suddenly just came along one day. Um, obviously as a result of the practice and playing a lot, um, so yeah, something like that, you can look back and say, actually, yeah, six months, that's like a, a milestone there. And it's shown some real gains, even though day to day, you're not looking out for it. Um, and yeah, I think sure. over, a, say, a, as you're playing more and practicing more, you're probably going to have well, days when you've suddenly surprised yourself with something like that. And it's those things you can really enjoy and uh, use almost as your ammunition to say, oh, no, I am getting better here. You know, it's, it's trending upwards. Um, and that certainly helps get through the day to day, especially when it's not going so well. Absolutely. Well, my last question then for you, Joe, is okay. if we strip it back to, let's say there's a junior golfer who wants to go down this journey. And I, I would say it's probably more realistic for this junior golfer to be of age, maybe a little bit older in their teens. Mm-hmm. Who would you recommend go down this journey? And then the second question would be, as adults, whether we're coaches or parents, what would be the best support we could offer for them? Okay, well, let's do the second one first. So in terms of support, I mean, 
I think that is the one word which sums it up really. It's, you know, support the athlete, you know, support your kids, whoever it is, as much as you can, you know, don't put your own agendas onto them. You know, if you've got an idea of where you want to be or maybe you want to relive something you never did, you know, that's not the way to go about it. It's supporting where you think it's going to help them out. They've got to be the ones coming with the the desire, if you like, and the parents and the coach's job is just to nurture that over time, you know. I guess for kids, you know, we're offering, offering financial support to them, giving them lifts if they can't drive, all this kind of stuff is obviously uh, important. Um, you know, I'd say getting a, say if they've got a goal, the time we should get annoyed maybe as parents or coaches is when we know they're not giving it their all, you know, like we want to be praising effort for sure. Um, and you know, I guess parents, I, I don't have a kid, so you know, but I guess parents they'll kind of get to know their kid and know maybe when they're slacking off a bit, and you know, maybe just needs a gentle reminder, like, hang on, look, look, mate, come on, you've what, what are you doing? You know, you've made this goal to get really good at this. Why are you not giving it your all? And you know, I think it's things like that. It's going to be more helpful along the way, um, and definitely, you know, really praising any successes they get is obviously really important. So yeah, I mean, just I think support in a word is is the main key, isn't it? Absolutely. So who would you recommend this journey for? Okay, so in terms of who I'd recommend the journey for, um, I would plainly say anybody with the desire to do that. <laughs> Which mm-hmm. sounds like a bit of a cop out answer, but I think that's that's very true. You know, you can't be hundred percent like you know forced into it by anyone else. Like, like as I described a minute ago, the amount of time it takes to get really good you have to have some internal desire there because, you know, at some point, if, I don't know, let's say you've been pressured by other people to go down that journey, at some point you're going to just get tired of it and just burn out or drop out, you know, and that's, that happens with a lot of um, athletes for sure. You know, these young kids who are really good as kids, often they'll burn out because it's just so intense, you know. But we could, we could talk for hours about that for sure. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. What I, I find it fascinating, Joe, the journey you went on over the last two years. And I know you're still playing competitive golf even now while you were coaching. And, you know, just thinking about the journey you went on, I think it's so relatable for so many other junior golfers at different levels, you know, whether you're playing high level US kids tournaments, or they're playing in their local tournaments, or they're playing, you know, regional events at, let's say, high school level, or even up to college level. I think the experience you went through was very realistic. And I think the journey you've had, I think you should share with your students along the way. You've shared it with me and it's really helped me also understand the process and the journey that people go through. So I really appreciate you coming and sharing your story here on the Raising Golfers podcast. Thanks, Travis. It's always great catching up with Joe Hoblin. I really enjoyed the advice he shared based on what he has learned over the past two years. If you are interested in this exciting journey, do yourself a favor. Rate your burning desire to practice and play golf competitively on a scale of 1 to 10. If the desire is high and you have a solid plan for when things don't go to plan, then hit this path as hard as you can and enjoy the whole process.